had the advantage of being first to market. I mean, that was huge. Being the first double wall vacuum insulated bottle, people had seen, they're going, wow, this is like voodoo. This is like black magic. I don't know what it is, but this is cool. We want this. If I have a passion for something, I'm going to do it, whether I make money or I don't. And if I can help people, if I can help do good and do better, if I can help the environment and the planet, that's what I want to do. And I really enjoy working with people. I really enjoy helping businesses grow. And I'm not making trillions of dollars doing it, but I'm having a great time. The following podcast is brought to you by Thrive. Manage, run, and grow your business all from one dashboard using one login. Small business runs better on Thrive. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street. Normally on this show, our guests run or advise small businesses, but this week we're bringing you something a little different. Someone whose little startup became pretty big, really big in fact. Have you ever seen the Hydro Flask? It's the water bottle that's pretty much everywhere. It's particularly become a phenomenon with millennials, Gen Z and college kids. Our guest, Travis Rossback, is the inventor of the Hydro Flask. How and why Travis invented Hydro Flask, how Travis's bottle became a global phenomenon, and Travis's own entrepreneurial journey is the subject of this week's show. What should you, our listeners, get out of this episode? You know, just about every great business idea starts with solving some problem. Let's listen to how Travis spotted and solved a problem and where it led and how that approach might help you in your business. The show is brought to you by Thrive. Small business runs better on Thrive. So Travis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you. And uh, I'd love for you to just start kind of at the beginning of your journey. Where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? And why were you interested in making this bottle? Yeah, let me start out by saying I'm missing a tooth. I, I smashed my face on a rock, broke some bones, and, and it's five weeks before my dentist can get me in. So I'm a little bit like a little bit mumbly, <laughs> but I'm going to do my best with, with, with Sam's tooth. So uh, yeah, Travis Rossback, I was born in Salem, Oregon, and I met my dad when I was about 14. He lived in St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands. He actually still lives there. And so I went down to the Virgin Islands and started scuba diving. He owns multiple scuba diving uh, shops, Cane Bay Dive Shop. And started scuba diving and hanging out in the Virgin Islands at about 14, kind of went back and forth, Salem and St. Croix, St. Thomas, St. John, Puerto Rico, um, growing up. And as soon as I graduated uh, South Salem High School, I was on my way back home to the Virgin Islands, where I became a dive instructor, dive master, later went on to get my 50-ton U.S. Merchant Marine captain's license, boat captain's license. And did that for a lot of years and traveled all over the world, uh, boat captaining, scuba diving, just traveling for the heck of it in the off seasons, predominantly in the summers. And then um, one day I was on this yacht. I decided to quit. And long story there, but decided to become an airline pilot and fly seaplanes. And so when came back home to Salem, started flying. September 11 happened, got grounded, had to, you know, kind of reevaluate, came over to Central Oregon to start rock climbing, ended up finishing my, my pilots, all the certificates, airline transport pilot, all that, 
went back home to the Virgin Islands and started flying for the seaplane airlines, seaborne airlines. Did that for quite a while and then started to kind of get bored, a little bit of island fever. So I moved to Florida and started flying uh, jet charters, predominantly Lears, Falcons, Hawkers, things like that, big jets all over the country and kind of international. Did that for quite a while, but I always really wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always wanted to own a business. I didn't really know the word entrepreneur, but I really knew I wanted to be a businessman. I wanted to own businesses. So moved to uh, Bend, Oregon. I had a girlfriend at the time, and we started a fence company building wooden fences. I had no idea how to do fences, but uh, did quite well building fences and, and hiring people, really, who knew how to build fences way better than I ever could. Did that, and um, after a while, I, I got really cold. The ice and snow and digging and lava rock got kind of old, and so took off to Oahu, started a sign screen printing and embroidery kind of an agency, Oahu Signs and Screen Printing, and did very well with that. And then one day, it just kind of like hit me that like something happened. Sure enough, 2008 had kicked in, 2009 had, had reached the Hawaiian Islands. Recession. And yep. And uh, it took a little longer to reach Hawaii because people had booked out their vacations six months or a year in advance. And so they still had those obligations. But I knew that things were going to be different. And um, then one day I was just thirsty. I was downtown Honolulu running some errands. And I wanted to get a reusable water bottle and went into the sporting goods store. There were no water bottles on the shelf. The guy said that uh, due to this new thing that came out in Europe and, and the owner was French and she found this stuff called BPA. They weren't really sure what it was, but long story short, nobody was going to fill up the wall with water bottles. And it hit me in the back of the head, Gordon, it came out my mouth. I will, I will do that. <laughs> and then I started Hydroflask. <laughs> wow. So that's quite a story. So lots of people have ideas or observations, you know, many of us all day long, oh, that would be a great idea for a company or that would be a great idea for a product. But you were really motivated to follow through and create this new thing. Why, why do you think you were so motivated? Was it your environmental consciousness? A little bit, yes. I, I mean, I would say it was a little bit of all of everything. Um, we were living in Wailua, right on the beach. And at first, cleaning up the plastic and the garbage was kind of fun. I felt like this, you know, I'm an Oregonian in Hawaii cleaning up the beach. And I, I felt like an environmental warrior type thing. But it, it, it didn't end. <laughs> it just kept coming. And we had to fill up these garbage bags and then put them out with the garbage and they were paying like $15 a bag. And then it got really expensive to clean up the beach and it just kind of lost its pizzazz. And yet I grew up scuba diving all over the place, watching the coral bleaching and the lionfish and then the plastic and just all these different hurricanes come through and the before and the after and the deering process. So spending so much time under and, and on top of the water, I was very conscious of that. Right. But when it hit me in the back of the head, it was just like, I, I, I actually physically saw the future. And mm -hmm. I had asked the employee, I said, who's going to fill up this wall? And he said, nobody, there's nobody else. And it hit me and it came out, I will, I will do that. And he laughed at me. 
And at that juxtaposition, I, I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> I saw the future. I saw about 10 years in the future and I was on stage talking about a pretty highly successful international water bottle company. And then as I went back to the sign shop to ask the employees, like, where do I buy a water bottle? Who's making water bottles? Surely somebody's got to be making a good enough water bottle. I found that the, there were two competitors. One was aluminum and they had BPA. The other one was single wall and I would drink out of it and it would dribble down my shirt. It just was ergonomically correct. Mm -hmm. And I'd put it on the beach, go surf, come back. It would be too hot to drink. I'd go mm -hmm. hike up Mount Bachelor, get to the top. My water is frozen. I couldn't drink it. Like why carry extra weight if you, you know, can't use it? So so that's, yeah, those were kind of the big reasons. And with the, you know, 2008, 2009 approaching, it was time to really start looking at like something else entirely anyway. Right, right, right. So the timing was good. And, and we should mention here, I understand you had a girlfriend at the time, Cindy Morrison. She was kind of part of this with you at the beginning, right? She was, yeah. She helped with a lot of the bookkeeping uh, in mm -hmm. the early days, helping okay. getting the, the business registered, things like that, the, the legal it. aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, understand. So tell us now, let's get into the, you know, the, the making of Hydroflask. So why did you call it Hydroflask and uh, explain the logo? That, the logo was kind of a unique thing too, huh? Yeah, so with the, um, when, when, you know, I, I had to go to China and it was it was a tremendous amount of work just to find a factory that would actually agree to this crazy idea of doing a double wall vacuum insulated water bottle. Nothing really existed at that point in, in the everyday carry market or even in the water bottle market in America. And so once I finally found a factory that would say yes, uh, we had samples coming and they were going to screen print the logo on and we didn't have a logo because we didn't have a name. So we had brainstorming sessions with all of our friends, all of our family, all of our Ohana and neighbors and everybody we knew. And my brother came up with Hydroflask. I was like, no, I, I don't like the word flask. It reminds me of whiskey. I don't drink whiskey. Yuck, no, Burnside Bridge, no. And finally the factory was like, hey man, we need a logo. We need a name. What do we put on it? All right, how about Hydroflask? But we're gonna change it later. And so we put Hydroflask on it. We got on Corel Draw. We came up with this wave uh, and, and just real simple Corel Draw logo that Cindy and I came up with. Cindy did a lot of the initial original wave pattern. And we did that and got the samples and we took it around to everybody we could get a photograph with. And they loved the name. They loved the bottle. They loved the name. And um, so, yeah, that was the name. Later, uh, it was much later, a couple of years later, we were in Bend and we had a big fancy, fancy marketing company, uh, stupid, ridiculous, expensive marketing company. And they said, nope, we don't like your logo. It, it's just too homemade. We got to change it. Okay, fine. Grant it. You know, it is homemade, literally. We'll, we'll redo it. And they came with about 25 different options. And at the bottom of the options, it, it said a website. And I thought, I wonder what that website is. And so I said, no, nah, I don't like any of these. You know, go back to the drawing board. I look up the website and it was a crowdfunded website where it, not crowdfunded, but it was like 
it was it was a maker's website where graphic designers 99designs and so at that we fired the marketing company and brought in with the money we saved brought in our first uh, graphic designer Alice mm. Drobna and she and I uh, sat down and started drawing and after about a week of working back and forth that was her very first project was come up with the new logo cool got it so at this point you know you've got this like young growing company you didn't have much of a business background from what i understand um how did you go about achieving the growth and how did you as a kind of non-business background person manage the growth yeah well i had i'd been reading business books i i, I inherited a fairly good sized bookshelf of business books brian tracy jim runs mm -hmm. and zig ziglar negotiation sales marketing books when I was about 12. So I grew up reading all these books. I had worked in my dad's dive shops where it, it wasn't really Brian Tracy's like philosophies. It was the wild west. I mean, we were getting shot at and robbed and it, it was it was crazy, but it was still business. And so I kind of got to learn that and the I, I got to learn sort of the yin and yang of business. And then with the fence company, it, it was it was very successful. We we did really well with the fence company, a lot of guerrilla marketing and things like that. When we got to the sign company, it, it really turned into a bit of an agency. So we got to work with some of the top brands on Oahu and, and some in Maui as well, a couple from the big island. And so I got to really learn what the big companies were doing and what the small companies were doing and seeing why are the small companies small? Why are the big companies big? And, and how do we sort of do guerrilla marketing and how do we do brand awareness as cheaply as possible because we have as little money as we had? And so, it, um, you know, a big part of it, Gordon, was that we had the advantage of being first to market. I mean, that was huge. Being the first double wall vacuum insulated bottle people had seen, they're going, wow, this is like voodoo. This is like black magic. I don't know what it is, but this is cool. We want this. And so that really helped a lot. Mm -hmm. But um, guerrilla marketing was, was definitely a close second. Cool. So the company grows and at some point you, well, you eventually sold the company. So take us through that process. How did you decide, hey, maybe I've had enough, I'm thinking about selling or I'm ready to sell. And then how did the sale come about? Yeah, well, so my goal was always just to have the best water bottle. I, I wanted the best and the largest water bottle company. And so, I mean, those were my goals. I and mean, that for me, that was as good as it got. As, as, as soon as I knew that we had the largest water bottle company and, and, and the best quality and the best value, the best price and, and the best brand, I was happy. And mm -hmm. I mean, it took a lot of years to get to that point until we were finally internationally recognized and, and being sold in all of the major retailers all across the, the, the world, really. And that was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed opening up REI and Dick's and Cabela's and Whole Foods and all of these places where I'd kind of grown up looking at these sporting good and outdoor stores and healthy, crunchy granola stores and seeing these products on the shelves. And then all of a sudden having a hydro flask there was, it was really, really rewarding. And I got to the point where uh, my brother had just died. I just gotten married. I was traveling a lot. I was either at the factory, living at the factory, working 24 seven around the clock for months on end. 
um, in, in different parts of China and or I was in New York for meetings or Texas for meetings or in London. And I got to the point where I just kind of got burnt out and it, it felt like the season had changed and I was just ready for my next adventure. It got, I don't want to say easy, but it got easier. And I found myself spending more time inside my office or inside an airplane or inside a hotel room. And I wasn't able to, um, like it, like the growth had happened and that's what I really enjoy. I enjoy the growth phase of businesses, but once it gets big, I, I got kind of bored. And right. so we had grown so quickly that we needed extra capital. We were doing, you know, 40 to 80,000 bottles a month and which is expensive. I mean, you got to pay for those bottles up front product up front really. And so we brought in an investor and uh, it was it was just really serendipitous. We needed money. Investor walked right through the front door. He gave us a check, and boom, we kept running. And um, and so after after a while working with him, he sort of showed me the the big corporate playbook of what it's going to take to really go, you know, corporate. And I had no interest. I I, I wanted nothing to do with that. So I exited. Right. So he. It, was it an individual investor or was it more like a, a PE no, firm or it was like it an was individual? A, and what uh, was well, the... it? Was, it was both. It was, it was an individual who had originally come in, but he was with the firm and then they brought on additional and additional. And then after I sold, they, they brought in even more. Right. And uh, yeah. What, what, what did the company sell for? Are you able to tell us that? Uh, no, no, it went <laughs> on. It was in the newspaper. It sold later for 200 million. That was that was the second sale, right? That was after Correct. he sold. Okay, so so he bought it from you for I guess an undisclosed price, and then and and can you say what was the, the company's revenues at the time you sold? Do you remember roughly what, what you were doing? You no, know, I don't. I was. Okay. We had a we had a really great CFO, and okay. I I, th I think more in numbers of bottles than I do in. Numbers. And that was like, like forty to eighty thousand. You said. Yeah, we a month? well we were we were bringing in forty thousand just okay. for ourselves, and then we were also shipping forty foot shipping containers all over the planet, and okay. a forty foot shipping container is forty thousand bottles. Okay. So we were doing. 80 to 120,000 a month bottles. Right. And at retail, these bottles were selling for what? 10 bucks, 15 bucks? No, they were 30, 35, 30 40. bucks, 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So $30. So, okay. So and we had multiple sizes. I mean, there's everything from the 10 ounce to the, we had the growler at 64 ounce and working on the one gallon. Okay. So 40,000 bottles 30 bucks so that's a million two uh a month it sounds like at least and you said 40 to 80 so yeah that we were bringing in house yeah right. and, and we we moved to a, a third-party logistics company and we just kept we just kept blowing the walls out of the 3pl we just kept growing and growing and growing taking over additional buildings because the growth we were 600 percent a quarter okay and then so you exit out new investor comes in and you said they grew it up to 200 million that occurred over about another, how long was that? Roughly a decade or a little less? No, no, it was about four years. Oh, for, you sold in, what What was the year you sold? Was uh, that... I think it was 13, 12 or okay. 13. And four years later, they sold it for 200. Mm -hmm. And what was the, was did they do anything new during those four years other than just a lot more distribution, I guess? They injected a lot of capital. 
That right. was that was the big thing. I, I talked to the investor later, and the biggest thing they did is in, inject capital. They they okay. in, uh, in in the form of uh, inventory. Uh, they grew their inventory. They flattened the the logo. They took the original logo that Alice and I had come up with, and they sort of ran it over with the steamroller, which I completely uh, agree with. I think it's 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 easier to read on a billboard mm. uh, if it's if it's more of a flattened image and. Yeah. Other than changing that, um, I, they, I, I also had a lot of um, like my playbook uh, that I'd left behind. And so they might have come out with a couple of my designs, but I don't even know that they did that. I, I don't honestly know. Right. And then and then the, uh, the new buyer comes in, who I understand is a company called Helen of Troy, and they uh, took the company and obviously continued to, to, to grow it. Now, when did the company... I, I, in reading about the growth and the success the company has had, some people say that that um, it became sort of this college phenomenon more in the latter years, or I, I guess, when, when would you say that really happened, when it become kind of this brand where everybody recognized it? Was it, was it back when you had it, or did that happen later on? Well, I mean, we were in all of the retail stores that you can imagine when I had it, we were at all the trade shows, we were all over the TV, we had all kinds of celebrities and, you know, or the early days of influencers and the later mm. days of influencers were drinking out of the bottle. Um, so yeah, the, what I think would say one of the big poppy moments was the Visco girls. <laughs> and um, say that I, again, Visco, how do you? Visco, V-I-S-C-O, yeah. right. And Who are the Visco those, girls? Yeah, so come to find out, it was an app. It was sort of an early, uh, like Instagram type app or Snapchat type app, I believe. Okay. And I think it actually got acquired by Instagram, Mark, whoever. And so the Visco girls had uh, like everyday accessories they had to keep on them and like, you know, bright colored everything. And so in Hydroflask, sort of a couple of the Visco girls kind of went, um, Oh, um, oh golly, what's it called? Uh, viral. Some of the Visco girls went viral. And so Hydroflask started making more of the Visco girl type colors. Um, mm -hmm. That had a huge impact. Uh, and that, that really helped. And um, yeah, so that, that was big. The Visco girls really helped. Uh, and then of course, nowadays people are saying, oh no, I don't like Hydroflask because I'm not a Visco girl. So, you know, it, it's always a catch 22. Got it. So uh, you've moved on uh, and now you've got something called the Tumalo Group, right? I don't know if I'm pronouncing it exactly right. Tumalo Tell us, Tumalo. So what, what is the Tumalo Group? Well, what I do now, I had a lot of people asking me, like, how do I grow my business? How do I find factories? And, and typically finding a factory is very critical. I mean, you can have a wonderful brand and a great business plan, but until you have a good factory to make your product, it, it can be very difficult. So I had a have and have ha had had a very good, robust Rolodex of factories. And a lot of them were in China. And, and that's just kind of where everything has come from for the last you know few number of years. And now we're moving into the United States more and more, which, which is really exciting. I, I really enjoy working with American factories. It can be very difficult, especially with startups. But again, it just goes back to the, the Rolodex. Got it. Cool. And I understand 
you know, you've got some other things going on besides this consulting or advising of people. Obviously, you mentioned you're a pilot. Uh, you're also, I think you do mentoring, some SCORE mentoring for that, the I, small I, business group. I did for I did for a number of years. I stopped doing that. Um, okay. I stopped doing that when I would meet with somebody for coffee and we would order two cups of coffee and they would look to me to pay. And I'd think, wait a second, you're getting free advice. You're taking up my time. And you're not even buying me a coffee. Like I will work for free coffee, but if I have to pay for the coffee, I'm not going to do that anymore. And unfortunately with that organization, the, the clientele, they really wanted to meet the hydroflask guy. And I sometimes see. they'd come with these just ridiculously stupid ideas that weren't right. even really business ideas. They just wanted to drink coffee with me coffee. on my dime. Right. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> no more yeah, paying still, for coffee. Yeah, no, uh, no. So I still, I still do a lot of uh, talking and speaking right. at universities and, and different organizations, but um, I, I'm not footing the bill as much as I used to. Got it. So uh, as you look back on this whole experience, what would you say is your advice to entrepreneurs who relate to your story and sort of see themselves, you know, following in your footsteps? I think, I think that with all of my businesses and all of the success that we've had in the business, it, a lot of it comes down to always, I always from even day one thought about ourselves as way bigger and more internationally recognized than we really were. And we always sort of carried ourselves and portrayed ourselves with that knowing that someday we will be the best fence company in all of Central Oregon, or we will be the number one sign company in the Hawaiian Islands or the biggest water bottle brand in the world. And I think it, you know, it's, I, I don't really like the term fake it till you make it, but it's, it's along those lines. And yet it's have confidence that it can happen because I really believe that if you act boldly, unseen forces will come to your aid. And I think another thing that really helped with Hydroflask was um, I learned from Coca-Cola. It's, it's kind of a, a, you know, kind of a odd thing, but it's called market to the grave. And nowadays, to be politically correct, we're supposed to say market to the gray, um, but I still prefer grave. If you can get those young kids drinking your sugar water, they're going to be old people when they're still drinking your sugar water. So if you can get them hooked at a young age, by the time they're old, they're still going to be drinking. And so I, I really wanted to cater to the children and the young families at Hydroflask. Hmm. And sure enough, those young kids grew up they became college kids. Those college kids became Visco girls. Those Visco hmm. girls are now Visco moms. And those Visco moms are still buying the product for their Visco kids. And they may not have the word Visco there, but you see what I'm saying with the yeah. cradle to the grave. You know, you seem a little like an unlikely capitalist to me. You're an environmentalist. You're into things like, from what I understand, yoga, meditation. You mentioned all the uh, stuff you do out on the beach, the water. Um, but you have an instinctual bent for capitalism. Do you see any? Um, uh, contradiction there, or that seems pretty normal. No, I, I, I think, I think capitalist is something that I would not ever put in my CV. I would, I don't, I don't. If if I had a, a hundred things to write, who is Travis? I, I think that capitalist might be one hundred and one. I, I really, if I have a passion for something, I'm going to do it, whether I make money or I don't. 
And if I can help people, if I can help do good and do better, if I can help the environment and the planet, that's what I want to do. And I really enjoy working with people. I really enjoy helping businesses grow. And I'm not making trillions of dollars doing it, but I'm having a great time. Sounds good. And what's next for Travis? Uh, Tumalo Group is obviously a thing now. What, where are you going to be spending your time in the next few years? Well, I have uh, a fair bit of property and I really love chainsawing. <laughs> I have a bunch of juniper trees that are a non-native species here in Central Oregon. So every time I cut down a juniper, two ponderosas grow. And I, I enjoy chainsawing trees and using uh, multiple sized vehicles to move dirt and boulders and rocks and stuff like that. Um, but I'm not done. I, I still have something else I really want to be doing. I just haven't quite found what it is, but I know it's going to hit me in the back of the head. It's going to come out my mouth and boom, I'm off and running doing that. So I'm still kind of open, but for now, I, I really enjoy doing the Tumalo group. It, it's coming easier and easier. We're, we're creating more and more systems to implement a more smooth um, factory finding experience and growing of brands. And so I don't see myself stopping the Tumalo group. I just see myself starting something more later. Terrific. Uh, so as we close out here, um, if somebody out there listening is interested in finding more about you and specifically about the Tumalo group and how they could be, become a client, uh, where should they go? tumalogroup.com, T-U-M-A-L-O-G-R-O-U-P. It's not the best website, but I keep it sort of intentionally minimalistic because Travis at Tumalo Group, info at tumalogroup.com. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn a little bit and every once in a while I check that as well. Okay, awesome. Well, Travis, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to have you here and uh, listen to your story. Thank you, Gordon, for having me. It's been great. Yeah. And I want to thank our producer, Tim Alleman, coordinators, Diette Barnett, and Daniel Huddleston. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your colleagues, friends, and family to subscribe. And please leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Helps us in the rankings. Small business runs better at Thrive. Get a free demo at thrive.com. Until next time, make it a great week.